Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Lisa Haim. Lisa Haim is a registered dietitian, blogger, and founder of Fork the Noise, an online modern mindful eating program. She believes that the human body, without all the noise, knows exactly what it needs. Because of this, the ability is innate. Eating well doesn't require all the willpower, exhaustive rules, and effort that most believe. Instead, we need a little help and re-education to identify and quiet the noise so we can tap into our body's wisdom. She's committed to helping others make peace with food by way of her modern mindful eating method, which teaches nutrition the right way alongside tools to listen, honor, and trust your body. In this episode, Lisa and I discuss what exactly is modern mindful eating and how we can incorporate it into our daily lives. The difference between her approach to mindful eating and others being promoted in social media and the common misconceptions surrounding mindful eating and how it differs from an intuitive eating approach. We also discuss how to remove guilt from your food choices, which I think everyone experiences. You could say mindful and intuitive eating are hot topics right now, which of course comes with a lot of viewpoints on social media, and some may not be the best for your health in the long run. I'm so excited to share this episode with Lisa because she teaches you how to incorporate nutrition into your mindful eating practices and use your outer wisdom, which she will tell you all about. If you're looking to incorporate mindful eating into your daily routine, which I highly encourage and want to know how using a science-backed and modern day approach, Lisa is your girl. So let's dive in. Well, welcome to the show, Lisa. I'm so happy to have you here. I have always admired the work that you put out there. And um, I'm so glad we also got to connect through Nutritious Life and get to know each other on a more personal level as well. But I'm just really excited for everyone to hear your take on mindful eating or intuitive eating because it is definitely a hot topic right now. But there's a lot of different viewpoints being pushed out there. There's a lot of, I think, misconceptions as well that I want to dive into, but thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. So excited to be here and hello to all the listeners. Um, So I first love to just start with your story and what led you to becoming a dietitian and then further down your path, just discover your niche in wanting to teach people to eat more mindfully and intuitively. Yeah. So um, like many people, I was drawn to nutrition and for kind of two reasons. And I've been in years of therapy and I haven't fully unpacked this, but um, it was twofold. One was a genuine interest in how food works once it gets into our bodies, like what happens after the point of visibility is gone and wanting to really understand that from a scientific granular level. And then the other part, which kind of came up for me when I did some self-discovery work years after and got to know myself a little bit better, really came from understanding that nutrition was a way for me to control my body. Um, Health became an identity for me. And it became kind of my way to show up in the world kind of loudly about what I care about, which is health and wellness. And at the same time, 
what was really being disguised was a big fear of weight gain, of body changes. And under this guise of health, I could really meticulously control what I ate. And this was, you know, Kate, I think you and I are around the same age. I don't know if that's correct, but you know. Yeah, I'm 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 31. So yeah. around there. Yeah, I'm okay. So I'm like two years older than you, I guess. But um around this time going into college, you know, so this was already 10 plus years ago for me and you, you know, this was a decade ago. A, we didn't have access to nutrition information the way we do now. So there was no Instagram. There were, you know, if you wanted to hear from an expert, you had to open a magazine or read a book or, you know, whatever. There wasn't even the surplus of Whole Foods markets that we have now. So I very quickly became the expert in my community long before I was a registered dietitian. I was the healthy girl. I was the people, the person that people went to, to, you know, I was influencing without knowing what that word meant. I was drinking kombucha before anybody had ever heard of kombucha, you know? So there was, there was so much that really made me feel like it was my place in this world. And everybody wanted quote unquote, what I had, you know, (laughs) I was young and in my, my, before I was even 20, you know, I finally felt like I had figured out food, (laughs) But that wasn't really the case. What I had figured out was a way to control food under the guise of health where people applauded me without knowing what was going on behind the scenes, which was obsessive thoughts about food in my body, um, pseudo restriction, which is what I call or pseudo restriction, which is what I what was really going on behind the scenes was obsessive thoughts about food, um, a sort of pseudo restriction in the sense where I wasn't restricting total calories. That was never kind of my MO, but I was restricting food groups and what those food groups were kind of changed throughout the year. And, and, and throughout my journey, what diet I was on changed, but again, it wasn't under this obvious like weight um, weight loss pursue. I've always lived in a thin body, but there was a body control aspect to it. And I was really just suffocating in, in my own thoughts and it was a painful place to be. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I think I'm glad you brought up to Lisa about, you said for, you know, you were the go-to girl in your community, like the healthy girl that people would look to. And I think with that, and I know I went through it too, and I'm sure so many people in the nutrition field do you all, like a lot of pressure comes with that because you think people are also watching what you're eating and they're constantly, I mean, even still now they're judging, you know, like it's so funny if, you know, I post having pizza or ice cream hands down every time getting a comment, like, wait, you eat that. And it's like, yes. Is, is there a reason why I cannot, or I should not be, but I think that's a big piece of it too, is just like that pressure. So how, how did you get to a point where you felt better about food and whether it was learning about mindful eating or intuitive eating and getting to the point where you are now teaching people how to. So it actually really all shifted pretty late in my life where once I was a registered dietitian, like you said, we, I really started to exude, I'm going to use that word influence again, over what other people were eating, not just my community, but people who were paying to see me as a registered dietitian to help them manage 
their, their weight or their disease state or whatever it was. And at the same exact time, my life was really shifting out of a place of control and rules about what, how much, and when I could eat into a much softer, gentle, gentler experience. And I kind of felt like I was living two separate lives because here I was living my life, which don't get me wrong, was rich in fruits and vegetables. I love healthy, healthy food. I love real food. I love everything from nature. Um, those things are very easy for me to put into my body because they're something that I enjoy. So it was never that I had the, the absence of that or that I was, you know, on the side just eating French fries and pizza, but my life was not controlled by food mentally. And I was really loosening up with the rules and recognizing how over the years, the different quote unquote diets I was on, mind you, they were not diets for weight loss, whether it was veganism, clean eating, sugar detox to do all these things that I was constant perpetually doing, returning to, um, I realized that I didn't need to have those labels in order to necessarily eat mostly that way. So eating lots of plants, I don't need to be a vegan. I don't need that identity, you know, eating clean. I could eat lots of nutritious, real foods, but that doesn't mean that I need to, you know, never eat a packaged food again or anything with a preservative. And at the same time, my clients were coming to me and I was eager to start my nutrition private practice and they wanted what they thought a nutritionist give you, gives you, which is meal plans, what to eat, what not to eat, how much to eat, all of that. And at first I was subservient, you know, I was afraid mm -hmm. to lose clients. I was afraid to not look professional. And this was five or so years ago. So right in six years ago, in the beginning of my private practice career, and nobody had paved the path of you can speak to clients differently. You know, nobody had ever said that we were trained as registered dietitians, very clinically to follow evidence-based medicine or, or nutrition and, you know, stay within those guidelines and not really veer out. And I just felt kind of fraudulent as I was preparing these meal plans, telling people what to eat, what not to eat. And then in my real life, experiencing mind-blowing freedom. And I always tell this story because I think it really is a powerful one. And it's like you said in the beginning, there's a lot of misconceptions about the, let's just say the anti-diet movement in general. Uh, we can break that down further in a moment, but there's a lot of misconceptions, but the one that really, you know, stands out is that the anti-diet movement doesn't prioritize health, well-being and eating nutritious foods. And that if you're not on a diet, you will just eat Doritos and, uh, you know, whatever, insert your definition of an unhealthy processed food that you just can't be controlled around. You know, everybody has their own idea of that. And so what I started to realize was when I loosened up about what I could eat, when I didn't tell my body that it can't have Doritos, when I actually allowed it to have, let's say, Doritos, or the, the food for me was always French fries. French fries were an off-limit food. When I allowed myself to have French fries, I would eat all of the French fries, like no French fry left behind. And it usually led to, you know, the next food that I was not allowed to have. But I remember one weekend, I was like, gave myself radical permission to just enjoy. 
And it was filled with, it's again, 32. So this was my mid twenties, you know, it was filled with normal New York city living stuff, drinks and fries and anything really. And I woke up on Monday morning and I guess I paused for a second, which wasn't something that I did in my early twenties. Didn't know how to pause. Didn't know what stillness was, but I was, I found a pause and I, I heard something from my body and it was, I want a salad. Like I want greens today. And of course I gave it that, but it was, it was way more profound than that because what I realized is when you listen to your body, it's going to guide you towards everything that it needs. And what we have been told happens when we don't use willpower, discipline, or food rules didn't happen. (laughs) You know, I didn't wake up craving more French fries on Monday. I woke up craving greens, like raw arugula I could, you know, go for. And I realized the power of the body and the power of our connection to food that protects us, makes us feel good, gives us energy, helps with digestion, you know, so much. And that's when I really realized that I was doing a huge disservice to my clients to not reconnect them to their own inner power of learning to listen to their bodies so that they could be the guide. Yeah. And be, and be free, right. In their food choices and not have because something I'll talk a lot about with clients with, and I'm sure you do Lisa is like the effect of, let's say, right. You have a weekend where your eating habits aren't your best, right. Or whatever that is for someone. If you feel guilty about that after most of the time, that's going to do more damage to your body than not than the actual food itself, right. Than the actual food you were eating, the actual guilty part or feeling that guilt, which can mess with your hormones and it can mess with your weight as well that's always going to do more harm than good. So always just try like, it's better to just move on. And like you said, focus in and check in and to, you know, tune in with your body and see what it's actually asking for rather than creating this like guilt clouds. Do you see that a lot? Yeah. And I like to really take that a step backwards because if somebody is experiencing guilt after they've consumed a food or a weekend worth of food, it's pretty likely, at least in my own personal experience and with clients, that they were also experiencing guilt or at least um, a bunch of different emotions while consuming those foods other than just enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And so we have to really untangle this, I think, from the get-go and recognize whenever we eat, we need to do so with what I call the power of permission. So make a choice, whatever that choice is to have that food or not have that food. But once you make that choice to, if you're calling it an indulgence, okay, let's just call it, you know, right now you might see that food as just totally indulgence. That's how it's been inframed to you for so long. Um, Then give yourself the ultimate power to indulge in it, to enjoy it. And stop the process there. And I think a lot of the language that we use, especially when it comes to eating these foods, like you got to just dust yourself off and move on or forgive yourself. In my opinion, it feeds into that first idea, which is you shouldn't have had it to begin with. 
And so I don't think there's anything wrong with having those foods. And it's, of course, guilt, you know, is might come up. That's not to say that that doesn't come up because a lot of these things are deep seated and we haven't taken the time to unlearn, unpack, untangle all the different ways that we've come to view food. But I think the way we talk about food really helps us um, as professionals. I think we can better help each other and our clients to recognize that if we are really saying that food has no morality, that you didn't do anything good or bad for eating an apple today versus a candy bar, then there's no reason to bring forgiveness into the conversation. That's not to say that we shouldn't forgive ourselves for things in general. And that's, you know, definitely something that is an important part of being gentler and kinder to yourself in general. But forgiveness with food to me just kind of feels like we're telling people not to have guilt, but then we're telling them to forgive themselves for doing something bad without saying the word bad. Yeah, exactly. Like don't forgive yourself. It's more just like move on. And obviously it's a practice too. And that's what later on, I want to talk about some of your courses and how you get people to a point where they're, you know, like with everything, it's a practice, right? But the practice of just moving on, because I see with so many people, it's like the weekend, I'm just saying, screw it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it is, it's that Monday morning and they do that, like this dark cloud and they feel so bad and they'll communicate, like they feel horrible. And I think a piece of it too, is if it's certain, if it's actually like certain foods that like are physically making you feel horrible, like Mm, there's a difference between mental and the physical aspect, Mm. then yes, like, you know, you take that wisdom, right? You take that knowledge that you learned and you just apply it next time. You know, you just, you move on from it in terms of the mental piece of it and taken if there's physical aspects and you apply that to the next time. If, you know, if there is a certain food that really just doesn't make you feel good that, you know, and it keeps happening over and over, then yes, maybe not the best option, especially if you want to be going, you know, you want to be feeling good for, you know, just day to day. Totally. And I think, I feel like, um, I totally hear you on move on, but that, that is also an opportunity whenever we want to move, whenever we want to get away from a feeling or an emotion or an experience that in, in food or related to any emotion easier said than done, but we want to, uh, what I I encourage everybody to do is tune in. There's information there. And like you said, that information might be, um, okay, how did this food make me feel? Because, even though, you know, it makes this influencer feel really good and her hair shiny and her skin clear. When I eat that food, it actually makes me feel nauseous. And this is really the case with many quote unquote healthy foods. Even I know Mm -hmm. we're talking about guilty foods, but, um, um, but, and, and also kind of tune in, like you said, they, they have that screw it mentality. We can't really just move on unless we take time to recognize that the screw it mentality brought you there. And that's the recognizing point is the throwing in the towel, the effort mentality. I had this, you know, there's information there and it's that whatever you're doing Monday through Friday is probably too stringent that you Mm -hmm. feel like you need this release by Friday. And so there's so much information in those huge points of discomfort, which is amazing that your clients are verbalizing that to you. A lot of clients actually won't share those feelings because they encompass shame or like they're failing you as a registered dietitian. 
But if a, if a client or a person can really verbalize that feeling, there's information under there that can be used moving forward for either their health and well-being or to make changes to their Monday through Sunday <laughs> nutrition <laughs> inclusion philosophy, if that makes sense. No, definitely. Um, and I'm so curious and I want to dive into Lisa, like your, your version and what you've created as, which I love how you put it, modern mindful eating. And just, can you explain for everyone what that is to you and how you think it differs from, um, you know, some other mindful eating or intuitive eating concepts that people are putting out there right now? Yeah. So I think we'll start with what it is and then we'll break down kind of the the nuance of differences. So modern mindful eating is meant to be a realistic method of returning home to the body's wisdom that uses nutrition, mindfulness, and value aligned behaviors to help unify the body and mind. So that's kind of the, you know, formal. But what it's it's really about is returning to the body's wisdom and bringing together two things that I call, well, I didn't invent this term actually, uh, mindful eating in general, whoever created that did. Um, um, so combining together these two concepts of outer wisdom and inner wisdom. And when we put these two together, we get what I deliver as modern mindful eating. So the outer wisdom is your knowledge of nutrition, how food works in the body, um, a non-bias approach to facts and how things work. And the inner wisdom portion is your desires, your needs, the amount of food you want. Um, Most people are probably very familiar with outer wisdom from years of dieting or being on, you know, intense protocols or whatnot, but they're not familiar with inner wisdom. Um, when we bring these together and we, we learn how they work perfectly for us as individuals, we're considering ourselves, and we're using what we know about science and we're bringing them together to have a flexible relationship to food that allows us to show up as our true selves and um, make decisions that really reflect what we need in that moment. The modern aspect of it is that when I was studying mindful eating, many of the practices are fantastic and they're grounding and they're a great way to learn about um, how food tastes and the changes and all those things. And we do a lot of that in my work. But the critical difference is that we are 30 something year olds, the two of us, you know, I work with 20 year olds, something I work with 40 and 50 year old people. Not every meal is going to be eaten traditionally, mindfully, slowly counting bites, noticing flavors. Some meals are not about the food. They're about spending time with friends and loved ones and celebrations. And so we're kind of taking the food off the pedestal, but we're using the wisdom of mindfulness, of connecting to the food and our body's wisdom to help guide us in most situations about what, how much, and when we need to eat. And all of this together, I know it sounds a little complex, actually gives us freedom to not think about food so much. So I think mindful eating is really about this overt function overt focus on food and modern mindful eating is about returning you to your body's wisdom so that you're not thinking about food all the damn time. And if that doesn't relate to you listener, then you've never been in that place where, you know, my clients 
will say, and it feels like they're speaking my own words, that they think about food 95% of the time, whether that's guilt, whether that's planning, whether that's eating breakfast while thinking about lunch, all of that. And that really crowds out who they are as individuals. So that's where the values come in. It's who and what do you value in this world? And are those values being prioritized? And when we take a good look at that, we usually realize if 95% of your brain space is going towards food and thinking about food, all the other things that you value have gotten little to no airtime in your brain. And therefore, you're probably not going to feel very happy or content or fulfilled in life. Yeah. So- and that's, I'm glad you brought it up too, because that's also if for someone listening, if they thought that's just like normal or that that should always continue for them, that they're constantly going to be thinking about food, maybe a little bit of a red flag that they don't have the best relationship with food or currently don't. But, and sometimes too, we're, you know, whether it's you, you know, worked with, um, a professional before, or, you know, maybe even just hearing from friends and family. Like I know some people, they grew up with their parents constantly thinking about food and planning things out. And it's just ingrained in their brain and it's become normalized. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be constantly thinking about food and it doesn't have to take over your life. I know we just touched on some of the misconceptions, but I want to go further Lisa into those about intuitive eating and mindful eating. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people have the idea that mindful eating or intuitive eating is just, you can eat whatever you want when you want. And like you said, almost ju- just listening to the inner, the inner wisdom and not using the outer wisdom. What would you, and I know I do find some, I mean, like we were talking about, it's a hot topic, right? And sometimes people are putting out information there that makes it seem that way. But what would you say to those people that think that are are thinking that? Yeah. So let me just first untangle intuitive eating versus modern mindful eating. Yeah. They are super complementary to each other. However, when I was on this journey to figuring out my relationship to food, I actually never stumbled upon intuitive eating until it became a trending on Instagram and social media. That being said, it predates me and you. It was a um, anti-diet program created by two registered dietitians who were really trying to help people in the 80s reclaim their inner power around food. Um, However, because I didn't hear about it until three or four years ago, I had kind of established myself in mindfulness and knew that this really worked for me. So interestingly, we have a lot of similarities when it comes to learning to listen to your bodies, but there's a few subtle differences as well. And I'd say the main difference that I see between intuitive eating and modern mindful eating, you know, my own approach, intuitive eating is so global where, you know, I'm the one talking about modern mindful eating is I really believe in the power of nutrition education. And that's not to say that intuitive eating doesn't, but intuitive eating is a set of principles that people, you know, I think they go like in a structured order to kind of break down beliefs and yada, yada, yada. And the idea here is that most people that 
get find their way to intuitive eating know enough about nutrition that it doesn't need to be approached until kind of the very end. Then we're going to talk about gentle nutrition, which is a beautiful approach and makes a lot of sense to me. However, when I was working with people, I was starting there with nutrition because I realized that so much of what people think to be true is false. And if we could equip people with basic nutrition information. I'm talking, what is a carb? What is a protein? What is a fat? Let me just explain and show them what each of them does in the body so that they never cut one out again, right? And how they work beautifully together. Then I've given somebody legs again, you know, the ability to walk because they need to think about food and they're paralyzed by thoughts about what they should eat because that noise of what we should be eating is constantly changing. So I'm not telling people what to eat, what carbs to eat, what protein to eat, what fat to eat, but let me just explain to you what these foods, uh, macronutrients do and what foods contain them so that when you are thinking about what to build in your meal, you can be a, bring some conscious awareness and higher education to the plate, right? So that you can feel yeah. energized. So outer wisdom is where I begin. And that's talking about nutrition pretty much from the get-go. Um, and and my, my courses now really speak to a large group of people. When it's individualized work, we can kind of see like what the person needs one-on-one where outer wisdom might not be appropriate first thing. But I do believe for most people, letting them know that we are going to value what we know about in food and bring that to the table kind of allows them to take a breath before learning to just, you know, refigure out these inner guides that they don't know that they have. So those two are really important. And then the inner wisdom is reconnecting to your body's power. Um, I think the word intuition, and from what I understand about intuitive eating, it really is far more nuanced than this. But I think the audience perception of intuition is a hard pill for them to swallow when nothing feels very intuitive about food to them. So inner wisdom is learning about your body's power and how it is reconnected, how, how it will guide you towards exactly what you need. Like I gave that example of um, having, wanting a salad after a whole weekend, you know, a, a weekend of indulgences or whatever. I think that's just the best example of the body's wisdom and everybody experiences that in one shape or another. Last night on my community call, we have like um, monthly community calls for my Fork the Noise students. Uh, somebody said, told a story and I've told, I've, and I've heard that story from countless clients in different variations over the years, as well as, as well as having my own experiences with what I'm about to say. But she basically said that she went to a cafe to meet up with her friend and she saw a donut and got a latte and a donut and pulled up a table to sit with her friend and have a really nice conversation after a year and a half of quarantine. And she was so excited to be with her friend and immersed in conversation that she actually forgot about the donut. And it's only because she was doing this work that she, the, the donut wasn't like, oh my God, should I have this donut? Should I not have this donut? Mm-hmm. Okay, I got this donut. I got to eat this donut. Now that I ate this donut, I already messed up. I might as well go have this, this, and this, and this, like that screw it mentality. 
And the friend was actually like, oh, I'm actually keto right now. And I'm doing that for my health and whatever. And why aren't you eating your donut? Don't let my keto, you know, disrupt your donut. And she was like, no, 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 it's not you. I just forgot about the donut. Okay, I'll, I'll have some now. And there's different variations of that story. And, and it really just shows that when we are present to an experience, whatever that is, we can enjoy the food and enjoy the company and nothing needs to get sacrificed along the way. Yeah, no, totally. I love that. I'm so, I'm so glad you just shared that, but that she shared that because I'm sure it it helped so many people on your call to see even like the people just starting out, right? Like I can get to that place. And I hope everyone listening feels that way too, because you can get to a place where you get that, you know, that off limit food or that used to be an off limit food. And it doesn't have to have that power over you. Um, Do you find Lisa that with people who are thinking or are nervous about trying to eat more mindfully and not having their food rules, um, that they, you know, I just, I see all the time people are like, well, I'm scared not to have my rules with me along with me. And if I just eat mindfully or say, I'm going to eat intuitively, whatever it is, that I'm going to gain all this weight and everything's going to, you know, just fall apart. What would you say to them and how do you handle that with clients? So most of the time, the people that are saying that are, are trying to control their food in some way. Uh, we see things like my fitness pal, or, um, there's a newer one. I forget the name right now that people use. Do you know what? No, I honestly, because I don't have clients use any of them. I right. don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they come up in our client calls. There's like a newer, newer one. And there's some ones that are like less about, or less seemingly about just calories in versus calories out or their macro counting. Oh, Lisa, actually our producer just said, is it Noom? Uh, yeah, I think Noom. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. I think there's Noom and then there might even be like another one, but Noom, I definitely hear about all the time. So Noom is definitely one of those that's um, I don't even know what it is, but I know that it's it's certainly sets my my clients off all the time. So um, uh, what I would really like to do in that situation is evaluate their forms of control and ask them how it makes them feel. Because oftentimes those things that we do under the guise of control and keeping us safe are actually keeping us captive. <laughs> And if we could realize that this control isn't actually providing us with safety, that we're still binging, that we're still overeating, because many of these people, they're coming to you for a reason. They can't get a hold of something, right? They're still coming, having those Friday to Monday um, binges or, or, or uh, free-for-alls, right? Something's not, not right. So first we, have to val- first we have to evaluate how control um, is really captivity in many situations. And then there comes an important factor of readiness, and that is called willingness. How willing are you to try something new? Um, and I, I repeat this all the time, but on the other side of discomfort, is freedom, you know? So if you can push past a little bit of discomfort, you're going to find change. 
And it's not easy and it's scary, but it's worth it for your life, for your health to get the life that you want and the life that you deserve to have a fulfilled life. Yeah. And I think a big piece of it too, that you touched on in the beginning was like before you realized after that weekend of indulgence says that your body actually wanted greens or a salad was you took that pause. And that's a big practice that I think people have to add back in. And I'm curious your thoughts on one thing I've seen help clients in terms of if we are recording, it's more so how are you feeling surrounding this meal? Because then they can even go back because, right? Like, I mean, sometimes I don't even know what I ate for lunch. I can't remember like what happened earlier in the day, let alone my feeling around it. Um, but do you find like, if someone's listening now and thinking, I I think I may have some negative thoughts with food or feelings about food, but I'm not really sure. Do you find that recording your feelings around meals is helpful? Yeah. And when we get to the inner wisdom section of my programs, we do a lot of reflections and journaling. That being said, there are certain people where journaling in any amount is not going to be a healthy behavior. But for most people, we use it as a short-term way to gain information about how a food makes us feel. And I just want to take that a step further because a lot of times people think that they can't eat just whoever, you know, you are listening. If there's a food that you think you can't eat because it makes you sick, I encourage you to evaluate the context in which you've eaten it in the past. So if it's the food that's, let's say cake or gluten or, you know, things that we, we cut out very easily, chances are when you have this food, you have that throw in the towel mentality where you consume a lot of it. And so you might not feel great after three bagels, right? Um, The way you also might not feel great after three bowls of kale. And I think quantity is really important. And the quantity of how much we consume any of these foods really shifts when we don't give them so much power. Yeah, definitely. No, and that's even with like, even just food sensitivities and stuff like yes. you always have to watch the quantity or I, you know, it makes me think about Lisa, like some people that do have certain issues with some carbohydrates, like have to go on a low FODMAP diet and then think they can never have those foods ever again. And it's like, no, we actually want you to reintroduce them and have a little bit here and there, but it is like, you have to play with the quantity. And even I was just thinking too, whether, you're also feeling anxious during those times that you end up having like the piece of cake. Well, anxiety does a number to your gut. So there's a lot going on there, but, um, it's good to know. And I think that's something that people can take away too, is start just noticing how you're feeling around certain foods you're eating. You know, are you only eating your healthier foods when you feel happy and then maybe having indulgences when you're feeling sad, right? Or it's something too, right? Like people use alcohol in that way as well. Um, and it's just good to like take that pause and start noticing. And I think that's a great first step for most people, but I want to dive into more about the courses you offer. Um, you were so generous to gift me and some other dietitians when you first launched Fork the Noise. And I loved it. Um, I had a handful of clients or referred them to take the course. And 
if someone's listening, what can they expect? And I know you've developed other courses since then to kind of like continue if people have done fork the noise, um, and how they can progress. But we've talked about outer wisdom, inner wisdom, but how, like, what would that course look like for someone, you know, where could they start off and then feel at the end? Right. Yeah. So fork the noise fundamentals was my first online program. And it was really designed to do exactly what it said, teach the fundamentals of modern mindful eating, much of what we've kind of discussed here. I wanted clients to leave understanding outer wisdom with a decent amount of their own inner wisdom. And I wanted them to clarify their values so that going out into the world, food plays a role in their life, but not the total role. And really showing how all this work really extends even past the plate. Um, Depending on really who you are going in really does dictate what you get out of it. And as well as that keyword I said earlier, which is your willingness to do the work. You know, I do include meditations into my work and some people are going to skip that. And they're, and not they're so good. Don't skip them. They're so good. <laughs> they're there. I, I get why people resist. I mean, resisting yeah. meditation is, you know, very mm-hmm. normal, but the reason that they are part of this, not because I, I am an, you know, an avid believer in meditation, but it's not just for, for that. It's because it is the tool to get away from the noise and connect with yourself. And oftentimes the meditation are action-based. So I'm asking you to do something so that you can experience something in your body. Because once you experience a shift or information coming from your body, rather than your brain telling your body what to do, that really changes everything because now you don't care what this influencer said you should or shouldn't eat, or what this magazine says you shouldn't eat, because you know exactly what you need because you heard your body communicate. Um, So some people leave the program, quote unquote, healed, complete transformation. Other people, it's just part of their, you know, maybe it's their first step to learning to listen to their body. Nonetheless, I think most people who really do all the work that's included, and I don't even like calling it work, but who go, who work the program, I should say, um, benefit incredibly, at least maybe not immediately, but over time, this stuff needs to kind of melt into your brain, cement in, you need to hear it over and over again. And for people who are like, okay, I love this. I want to go even further. I developed Fork the Noise Hunger and Fullness this year, which is about reconnecting the mind and body. I called it hunger and fullness because it is about learning to reconnect to those specific cues of when we want food and when we need food and when we've had enough, which I think a lot of people are out of touch with. Um, And we really break that down into so much more. So hunger and fullness is so not the best name for it because it's not just about physical hunger. It's about recognizing that we eat for reasons outside of physical hunger and naming those reasons, thinking about giving ourselves permission to eat when something tastes good or smells good, when we have a emotion linked to a food um, or a memory, I should say. Um, And having different ideas of why you have a motivation to eat, that's what hunger means. Give somebody permission to break that cycle of, oh, I want that donut, but I shouldn't have that donut. You know what? I'm just going to have that donut. 
oh, I can't believe I'm eating this donut. I'm so bad for eating this donut. I need to make up for it, right? Or we could say, I want that donut. Why do you want that donut? I want that donut because it smells really good. And if I don't try that donut, I'm going to feel like I missed out. Okay, that's a pretty good reason to have the donut. Try the donut then. As you're eating the donut, now you're present with it. Ooh, this tastes really good. Or oftentimes what people find is this actually doesn't taste as fantastic as I thought like it was going to taste. And so it allows you to stay present with each step of the process, whether that's eating the whole donut or not eating the whole donut. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was well. just going to say, Lisa, that brought up for me, like just that little part of, oh, this donut actually, like if someone actually pauses and they think, oh, this donut actually doesn't taste that good. Half the time, I feel like a lot of people don't have that pause and they're just like, oh, I've been restricting whether it's a donut or pizza, whatever. And then they have it and they're not even tuning in if it actually even tastes good or if they like it anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's it's just, and in, in hunger fullness, we really get into the science of taste And that's where, again, the meditation comes into play because I want people to experience change of taste. There's something called taste-specific satiety. I don't know if you're you're familiar with it, Kate, sometimes called sensory-specific satiety. But Mm -mm. it's this phenomenon that says, essentially, the first bite of food is good. The second bite of food is good. The third bite of food may be good. But by the fourth, it's pretty flavorless. And that could be pizza, that could be really any food, but the reason for it is so that we as humans are designed to seek out different flavors, different types of foods, Mm. because in theory, if we're not eating, you know, a complete westernized diet of packaged food or processed food or whatever, it's allowing us to seek out different types of nutrients and have a well-balanced diet without having those rules. So getting to know taste is really important. And we could only do that once we fork the noise, once we get rid of that noise and we tune into our actual processes. Um, So that is something that we do in a fork the noise hunger fullness as well. That's so interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard of that. That's really interesting though. And I feel like that's, I mean, a lot of the times why we're eating and not all the time, but like taste is a big driver in that. So it's so interesting just to like hear that. And it makes sense too. Right. And again, it's almost like one of those other things that like our body is trying to work for us, right? Mm -hmm. Like it wants us to get a variety of nutrients. It wants us, um, to be in a good place. And it wants, you know, just to keep us alive and feeling good. We just have to like, listen to it a little bit more. Well, we have to reconnect um, yeah. it. That's what that that's mm-hmm. what hunger yeah. fullness is about. It's about recognizing that we can't just listen to our bodies. You know, as much as we've heard that, that yeah, thrown yeah, yeah. at us a million times, we are in a state of disconnection where the mind is over here and the body's over here and they're running two separate operations. And it's mm-hmm. totally normal for most of us to be in those places. But until we reconnect them, bring them back together, recoil that trust we can't listen to our body, <laughs> but yeah. once we reestablish some connection and trust, like you said, our body works for us. I would tune that a little bit to say our body works with us. You know, we're kind of yeah. one in the, in the same, but yes, your point of for us is it's here to protect us. Every signal that it sends to us from our organs, from our cells is not a lie. It's a piece of truth and a piece of information, not something that we need to override, not something that we need willpower to overcome. 
every piece of information is so important. Definitely. Um, so I'm curious, Lisa, just on your day to day, are there any parts of just your wellness routine does not have to be anything about food, um, that are, you know, sometimes I don't like using the term non-negotiables, but things that you would like to be in that non-negotiable box every day that really make you feel good. Hydration is definitely the first one. And if I I can't even negotiate with it, I mean, how many times have I picked up this water (laughs) to even drink it? You know, like my friend, Carolyn, I don't know if you know her, she's registered dietitian as well. Yeah. We had her on. Yeah. I did. I need to have a sip of water one second. (laughs) No, but water is a complete non-negotiable for me, which started as a mandatory practice, you know, eight ounces of water upon rise. But now I wake up just parched and throughout the day, I'm just, my body's asking me for water. Um, So I think that's super important. Um, I wouldn't say I have any like hard non-negotiables because some days are just purely fun, but I think every day my body guides me towards goodness. You know, I love fruit. I love arugula right now it's summer. So like, there's a little bit more excitement in my voice to talk about things like tomatoes and, and seasonal produce that just genuinely tastes exciting to me on their Mm -hmm. own and things like that. My non-negotiable practices are probably less geared towards food and more geared towards, you know, mental health and Mm -hmm. taking a breath and, you know, things, things like that. Um, but I, um, you know, I think it's totally fine to have your non-negotiables, especially if you live a really busy life where it's easy to forget about those little anchor things that make you feel really good. So whatever that is for you, you know, that's, that's yours. That's your wisdom. Yeah. And I know Lisa, you're a big proponent of like foam rolling too. And I don't know for you for during pregnancy, it's been like even more important for me just with everything feeling a little out of whack and (laughs) moving around. But, um, I know that's, that's always one. I feel like I'm seeing constantly in, you know, on your social media, any sort of body work is really important, Mm -hmm. not just for the physicality of it, but because of the restrictions that we store in our body that hold the ability to release, So I really see the body, you know, we've talked really physiologically kind of today, but going a little bit more deeper, I think that every bit of our body holds wisdom and information and movement or massage or touch, even if it's self-touch, can really help to unlock that. And like I've been saying, create, foster that mind-body connection. Even just recently, Kate, you might find this interesting as we're both two pregnant women, Um, I learned that the tension we hold in our jaw is correlated to the tension in our pelvis. So bringing some attention to the tension, bringing some attention to the tension that we hold in our jaw, actively loosening, loosening it can help us actually prepare for an easier labor. (laughs) Well, now I will be massaging my jaw. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. Um, so we Love Lisa to end every episode with three rapid fire questions. So just like, just first thing that comes to mind. Um, the first one is what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Alone time. (laughs) Love it. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. And how, how do you like take your coffee? 
Oh, it's pretty intense. Um, I right now we're, I'm pregnant, so I'm doing decaf, but only a uh-huh. special decaf that's Swiss water processed, so no chemicals were mm-hmm. involved. Yeah. But um, it's one to two shots of espresso. So I use an espresso machine where I grind the beans. It's like a whole thing. And then I like to um, uh, froth my milk using my Smeg frother. And the whole thing probably takes like a good 10 minutes with cleanup to create at home. But I do work from home and that yeah. is definitely a luxury, but um, I love my coffee in the morning. I love that. And it's such a nice little ritual, even when it oh, takes yeah. that length of time. It oh, is just mind. such a calming, yeah, it's a calming ritual. I feel like, yeah, I, I completely hear you. Um, okay. My favorite question, what is your favorite home cooked meal? And it doesn't have to be something you make, Lisa. Like it could be like, well, no one has cooked for me in a year and a half. So I was going to say, it's hard for me to really say, because I'm so sick of my own food. Yeah. Evan's not cooking for you. God, I wish. Um, Okay. My favorite home cooked meal is, so I'm somebody that likes to eat like a variety of different things. So it's very hard for me to nail one. Um, but I feel like I'm just going to say cuisine. Yeah. I love a good, like taco situation, like a build your own Mm. taco. So you could, you know, have the rice, the guacamole, the garnishes, the sauces, the vehicle, the cheese, whatever. Um, I feel like if I, I, that's the most fun for me. Yeah. And it's just fun to put together too. Like it's an activity with it. It's not just, here's the meal, like on a, you know, in a dish and just serve yourself. It's like, you actually get to like build it and create your own. Exactly. Um, And then everyone's happy at the table too. (laughs) Like a, a bit of cilantro on top goes really far. Oh yeah. yeah. If, yeah. If you're not one of the people that does not like cilantro, cilantro. I I love cilantro though. Basil, Um, whatever like. Yeah. Any type of herb, especially right now. Mm-hmm. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. This has been so great. Um, I want you to tell people where they can find you, connect with you, learn more about your programs. Sure. So Lisa Haim on Instagram, you can just put this all in the show notes would probably be easier. <laughs> uh, my programs you can learn about on forkthenoise.com. And I host two podcasts, one called The Truthiest Life, which has nothing to do with health and nutrition, just talking to people about hard stuff in their life and how they softened through that. And then the other one that you might be more interested in, I co-host with my friend Amy Brown called Outweigh, and it's all about disordered eating. And we bring on experts, therapists, registered dietitians, and just regular people who get it to hear their stories of how they made peace with food and themselves. So new episodes every week on both of them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. It's so great to just connect with you again. And also so funny that we're both like super pregnant right now. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And I'm sure we will talk soon. Okay. Thank you, Kate. This week, I want you to start practicing taking a pause before deciding what to eat and before eating your meals to tune into your inner wisdom like Lisa discussed and listen to what your body's telling you. Just like Lisa said, this simple practice can go a long way when it comes to not only feeling satisfied after a meal or snack, but truly enjoying your food, which is what it's all about. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Stephen. 
If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com and we hope to answer your question on air. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.